as Joe was singing and we'll look at in the sermon, uh, we do not apologize at Garden Chapel that uh, just about half of every dollar that comes in to Garden Chapel is used so that people can hear about the Lord, whether it's uh, supporting people that are at Mount Lucian Bible Camp or Andre, who is Bethesda Youth Mission in Harrisburg, or it's people in New Guinea, the Buckners, uh, halfway around the world, or it's the Brocks in Japan, or any one of a number of missionaries that we support, even some that you don't even know their real name, because if their real name was known, their life would be in danger, in jeopardy, because of the work that they're doing. But people need the Lord. And so we do not apologize that we don't have a lot of uh, glitz and glamour here. We just simply believe that our job is to teach people here and now, right here, which you give me the privilege of doing. Fact is, yesterday you make it possible for me to have a funeral. And guess what I did at that funeral? I gave the gospel. I told people, Christ died for their sins. That he was buried and three days later he rose again. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Some of the people that were uh, at the funeral from Garden Chapel here said, wow, there were some awkward people in that room. And you know what? That's okay with me. Because they need to hear the truth. And the truth flies in the face of, I'm okay and I can do it on my own. It's totally the opposite of that. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the resurrection. This is the resurrection chapter of the Bible. Yes, the account of the resurrection is in the Gospels. But talking about the meaning and the fullness of the resurrection is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're at this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles there, I hope you brought them with. I will have a lot of the verses on the screen, but I encourage you to look at the scripture itself. We're going to pick this up in uh, verse 8 as we look at this, but we're going to look at the proof, the final proof that is given here of Christ's resurrection. It's Paul's personal account. And then eventually, as we go through this chapter, all 38 verses of it eventually, not today, uh, but eventually all 38 verses, we'll look at the practical applications of the rapture and the result of, not the rapture, the resurrection and the results of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul had just told all of us that Jesus had appeared to Peter, he had appeared to the twelve, he had appeared to James, to other apostles, he appeared to 500 at one time. And then he says, and by the way, I'm not simply giving you someone else's story. I'm not going to give you just what happened to someone else. But I'm going to tell you a first-hand account. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. You see, because he says, and last of all, as one untimely born, and we'll look at what that word means, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The word that is translated one of untimely one who is untimely born has to do with someone who is born prematurely. You see the apostle Paul was different than the other 12. 
In their case, they had spent three years walking side by side with Jesus. They had heard Him preach. They had seen Him perform miracles. They had walked with Him, slept with Him, ate with Him. They had seen Him rub shoulders with people who were pretty unsavory. They had seen Him face people who wanted to put Him down and He stood His ground. And then He saw others who just needed mercy and grace and He saw the kindness that He gave to them. They had seen these things. They had some preparation for what God was, how God was going to use them. But the Apostle Paul did not have any of that. In fact, eventually he had his indoctrination. But it was after the fact. It was after the road to uh, Damascus. After he had first met the Lord in a personal way. This term was used in Greek of someone, as I said, that was, and it was used by medical writers and science writers, of someone who was born ahead of time, but born alive. Not a miscarriage, but someone born ahead of time. And someone who lacked the normal gestation that a baby would have. That's how it was used medically. Paul took that word and used it for himself. Most of you that uh, come here and uh, know my wife and I and our family, you know that uh, about uh, five years ago, we had an incident that's very close to that. Our son John and his wife Megan had a son. His name's Ben. Now, Ben was born way ahead of time. He was born at two pounds, two ounces. In fact, I was going to throw a slide of him up here, but I was afraid I would freak some people out because it's not a pretty looking sight to see a baby that's two pounds, two ounces. That's not pretty. But this young man was in the hospital for approximately three months until he could come home. He was not born with the will to survive. He was born with the will to thrive. And we kind of got that is once he got up to speed, there was nothing stopping him. Today, there's nothing stopping him. And I can remember thinking, you know, I hope everything's going to be all right. And I remember my wife thinking those same things. And then one day, John and Megan saw him outside. I think he had just turned four. Somehow or the other, he managed to crawl up on top of the car and was on top of the roof of the car, bouncing up and down. I'm like, this kid is gone and he's never slowing down. The Apostle Paul identifies with that. Because while he says, I was born without the norm. I became a Christian without the normal uh, input and impact that others had. And I am the least of the Apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. I've done all kinds of wrong things. And if you think it was just the apostle Paul, just remember, all of us, before we trusted Christ, all rejected Christ. Paul rejected Christ. Now, he went a few steps further than probably any of us. He actually voted against people to be put to death and to be put into jail because they followed Christ. We may not have done that, But the impact is no different. The attitude is no different because we rejected Christ. That's the bottom line. That's what keeps us out of heaven, rejecting Christ. Not a particular sin. But Paul said, I have had a firsthand experience with Christ. 
One that none of the rest of us have ever been a part of. I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve this. But notice, he is singled out. Only two other names are mentioned there. Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul. So while he was untimely, he was the least of the apostles, he strove, and we'll see this in a minute, he didn't use what God had given him in a frivolous way. He didn't waste what God had done on his behalf through Christ. He absolutely carried it out to the max. In verse 10, it goes on to say, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That verse puts something in perspective. Paul said every single little tiny thing that I have was because God was gracious to me. I didn't deserve any of it. But I want to take probably most of this sermon and look at this concept of grace. This word, this definition for a word that's going to be used here numerous times. Grace is something that is absolutely unmerited. It is absolutely a gift that you cannot pay for. In fact, you can see behind me that grace is God's attitude and actions on His part that proceeds entirely from Him. Nothing else in the whole world affects His grace. He chooses in and of Himself to extend us something that we don't deserve. We could never earn. We cannot claim it as a right. He gives it to us. Nobody else can contribute to that at all. It's not conditioned on any merit, any favor, anything that we have done in our own lives. It's absolutely something that He extends to us. It's a gift. The illustration I used earlier was when I decided to get engaged with my wife, who's now my wife, uh, I had $300 in the bank. Back then, you could actually buy a diamond ring for 300 bucks. <laughs> Try that today. It's not going to happen. But you know what? There was nothing that she did that said, Hey, Paul, you must buy her a ring. No, I took every penny I had. Actually, she took every penny out of my account to pay for it because she's been in charge of the finances ever since that. But the point is, all of that, she didn't say, you know, you have to give me a gift. No, I chose to do that because of my desire to marry her and my love for her and all of those things. I went out of my way. It was all from me. She couldn't make me do that. But I did it from in myself. That's grace. That's a gift. In fact is, it is something that no one can earn or pay for in any way. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. It's something you do from within yourself. There are people in this world and, and the Christian circles that put another word in front of grace. They say grace is irresistible. That is not 
what the word means. That is the total opposite of that. Because grace is a gift. You don't force it on someone. You cannot force it on someone. That would be like forcing someone to take a gift. Irresistible means you have no power against it. Grace is offered freely. Will, we did it again. Your songs came right out and talked about this. It's free gift. You know, that's what it is. It's absolutely free. It's available to all. Here's what it says in um, um, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. You see, it is available to everyone. The gift is universal. There's not a person that's ever lived that hasn't been extended that grace by God. But not one single one of them was forced to accept it. Any more than you would be forced to accept a gift. My wife was not forced to accept an engagement ring. She chose to accept it. In fact, is when uh, my children were younger, my oldest daughter had a friend who had been taught and believed that grace was something that was forced upon you. It was irresistible grace. And she came home, and I don't know how many times in devotions, uh, we as a, a family discussed this. And finally, I'm trying to think, I'm racking my brain. How can I explain this to my children? And I think my explanation to my children is probably as good for adults as it was for them. You see, we would usually have supper, then we'd have devotions, and then afterwards, as soon as they were done, they'd go get their pajamas on, and then we'd have a snack before they went to bed. And I said, here's how I would describe God's grace, that gift that He gives us. By the way, one more thing before I go on is while the gift is free, the salvation is free, and not only the salvation, but the power to actually live it out in a practical way, is all free. It's all by grace. Someone had to pay for it. You see, all gifts are paid for by someone. That's what Christ did. The first part of this chapter is... This is the gospel. That Christ died for your sins. The payment was made. He was buried and rose again. Proving that the payment was made and was accepted. And that Christ is who he said he was. He's God in the flesh. And he is able to satisfy the justice and the holiness of God. So grace, while it's free to the person that is offered to, it, was, it is always very expensive to the person giving that. That ring cost me $300, but it was free to my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but free to my fiance at that point. But I said to my children, I said, you know what, when we're done with the um, devotions here, there's ice cream in the refrigerator, and there are ice cream cones in the cupboard, uh, when you're done, you can go out there, you can get a spoon, you can go into the fridge, get the ice cream, go into the cupboard, get the ice cream cone, and you can all have an ice cream cone. Well, you know what? I said, what if you say, you know what, that's too much work to walk out into the kitchen. I'm just not going to do that. And I thought, no, I really want them to have ice cream. 
an ice cream cone. I said, here's the difference. Here's what God has done. It would be me going out there, opening the fridge, getting the ice cream, spooning it out, putting it into the cone, turning around, bringing it all back, and they're all sitting on the couch and on the floor, and just bringing the ice cream cone up right before you. And say, here's your ice cream cone. You know what? Still does them absolutely zero good, because unless they reach out and make it theirs. Now, I'm not the kind of dad that said, oh, you're, you're dissing me here and take the ice cream cone and try to jam it down their throat. That would be irresistible grace. That's not what God does. But He does. It says in uh, John, He says, when He, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and justice. Judgment, I'm sorry, not justice. Just, uh, judgment. He does everything. He brings that grace and puts it right in front of you. That's what's happening right now. We're talking. That's what happened at the funeral. And there were people it was pretty awkward for. I know, they were sitting really close to me. And it was pretty awkward. Because I know one of those persons in particular teaches something very, very different than this. They teach that you have to add something to that grace to get saved. That's not the way it is. It's not, I have to do something to get it. And it's not something forced on me. Grace is a freely given, unmerited gift paid for by someone else. The Apostle Paul said, it's the grace of God that I am what I am. There is nothing I have that God hasn't provided for me. But he goes on, and and, and, I'm sorry, not Paul, but it goes on in John chapter 1, verse uh, 15, 16, and 17. John the Baptist is talking in verse 16. He says, for his, that's Jesus Christ's fullness, we have received. Everything that he's made available, we're going to receive it. And grace upon grace. It's like... God is gracious, and He's gracious, and He's gracious. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He's done everything needed, above and beyond anything that would be required of Him. He's made it so abundantly clear to us. All the benefits are there in front of us. But in the very next verse, He says, The law was given through Moses. Just remember, the law, and I don't care if it's the Old Testament law. I don't care if it's the um, governmental law. I don't care if it's the rules and regulations of some church. The point is, law only brings condemnation. Because nobody can fully keep the law. Notice, it says, the law was given through Moses. So we knew what sin was. We knew what it was like to be an enemy of God because none of us could meet that. But here's where it goes from there. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the one. God is gracious, but Christ is the one that made the provision for us. That's why the resurrection is so important. The resurrection and the death on the cross are never separated. They both work together. We are justified because of His resurrection. We see 
that it proves that the price had been paid. The gift is legitimately available and it's there for us and he's putting it right in front of our nose. Here it is. Receive it. It is possible that someone is here today that you've heard these things before or maybe you never heard it before. And you believe that you can work your way to salvation or you believe you deserve something or you believe it's going to happen automatically or because your relatives or your, your former uh, generations before you were Christians and in ministry and all that. You know what? None of that stuff matters. It's all about grace. The Apostle Paul is the ultimate example Because he deserved nothing. In fact is, he was fighting against Christ. And God was still gracious to him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I have nothing except that what he's made available to me. And it extends to all mankind. It's interesting that Paul, when he was leaving the Ephesian church for the last time, heading back to Jerusalem, and this would kind of end his public ministry. After that, he was ministering, but from a prison cell. Um, And in chains, he said, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He said, just like me. By God's grace, I am what I am. And you, as leaders of the church, he was talking to the elders. He said, you only have what God has given you. You simply need to accept it. It's there. It's a gift. And then the Apostle Paul, just like my grandson, I said he didn't have the will just to survive, but to thrive. Paul goes on in this verse and says, And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul said, I didn't have the normal input. I was born prematurely. I didn't have all the things the other apostles had. I even fought against this. But he says, when I received that grace, when I reached out and took it. For example, John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. How do I receive what God has for me? How do I receive his gift? By believing. That makes me a child of God. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ by faith, you've received what he has done, you've received his grace, his gift, Today is a great day to do that. Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. Sounds like I'm preaching the funeral service all over again. That's okay. Because wherever it is, the gift is available. But it's not forced on anyone. We have to make a choice. And there's, there are no stipulations. There are no red, red tape. There's no strings attached. It's, have you trusted Christ? Have you received His grace? That's the bottom line. There's nothing more to that. And Paul said... And when I received that grace, when I received that gift, he says, guess what I did? I used it to the fullest. He said, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't empty. It didn't come to nothing. He said, I labored. He said, I toiled. I wearied myself. I wore myself out using that gift. 
Here's the coolest thing about a gift, and I think all of you would agree with this. If you give something to someone, they go, oh, thank you, and they take it. And then they kind of put it in the closet somewhere. You're kind of disappointed, right? <laughs> okay? You, they have no obligation to display it or use it or whatever. They can put it in the closet if they want, or in the garage, you know, in the back corner where nobody sees it. But you know what? Paul said, I really love that gift. I love his salvation, his forgiveness. You know what I did? I turned around and by his grace, by his power, I put it into action. In fact is, I didn't just live a Christian life. I thrived. I put it into action and I put it into action more than all the rest of them. I put it, I went way out of my way. And you think about it. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Go to 2 Corinthians and look what happened to him. I mean, this guy was stoned. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was persecuted. He was run out of town. You name it over and over again. Everything that could go wrong went wrong in ministry. They were on his case all the time trying to get rid of him. He said, I kept on going. I kept on going. You know why? Because he appreciated the gift. See, probably most of you in here today go, no, I understand about this grace. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I've accepted his gift of grace and forgiveness and eternal life and a life worth living. But many of us have accepted the gift and we don't appreciate it. We stick it in the back closet. Oh, we get it out Sunday morning. Or occasionally some other time. I propose to you that we look at the example of the Apostle Paul. He said, it, did, it wasn't in vain. You didn't waste it. It, came to no, it didn't come to no purpose in me. But I lived it out to the fullest. I challenge you, if you believe in the work of Christ, and you believe that that forgiveness and that life is given to you, I propose that we show the Lord... Not because we're forced, it's by grace, but that we live it to the fullest. In your family, wherever you are, in ministry, it doesn't matter that we live out that perfect gift that was paid for with a huge price on our behalf, that we live it to the fullest. That when people say, wow, they're really making a difference. Remember what John said. He said, we love because he first loved us. If we've been given. And that's to me is like you give somebody a gift and you see them turn around and use it. That is the greatest. You know, somebody can say thanks for the gift. But when they turn around and they use it. And you can see that they appreciate it. That's an act of worship. Peter was talking about worship. That's an act of worship when we take what God has given us and use it. Whether it's our spiritual gifts or our time, talents, it doesn't matter what it is. When we use it, that absolutely glorifies God. It worship, we are worshiping God. That's what he wants for us. Is he forcing us to do that? The answer is no, but I'll tell you what. There is no greater joy than to use what God has given us. And Paul ends this by one last thing. He says in verse 11 and 12, he says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. The point is, 
Paul said, doesn't have to be me. He said, I'm a Johnny come lately. I'm kind of on the end of the list here. I'm the last. I'm the least. It doesn't matter who brought the message. What did you do? Did you really believe? Did you believe that salvation is absolutely, completely a free gift? If you put some stipulations on there, you're, you're in the wrong direction. Because you're saying there's something you have that you can add to it. It's not going to happen. It's like putting more mud in muddy water to make it clean. It doesn't work. It cannot work. But when we trust Christ, He changes us from the inside out. It's a gracious gift. And when we use it, there is no greater joy. There is no greater purpose in life. You see, we don't treat it with no purpose. Futilely, empty, without purpose. We use what God has given us. I challenge you. If you've never trusted Christ, you have not received that free gift. Now's the time to just simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve hell. I know that you paid the price. Please save me. Forgive my sin. Take over my life. Give me that life that you've promised, that free gift. But for most of us, it's like, are we living it out? The Apostles Paul said, I wasn't just born to survive and have life. I was born to thrive. I was born to live it out to the fullest. Guaranteed. Somebody, uh, before I was a Christian, I thought Christians were dull people. When I got saved and started ministering, I found out that they had no clue as to what they were talking about. This life, it can be a roller coaster at times, and it can be tough at times, but it's all worth it. If you don't believe me, Go back and read what the Apostle Paul said almost 2,000 years ago. And ask anybody that's given their life to serve the Lord. They're going to tell you, living it out. Not because they have to, but because they appreciate the gift that's been given to them. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you have shown us your grace. That totally unmerited, undeserved unpaid for gift. Thank you so much. And now, Lord, I just pray that if there is anyone that's still struggling and they're not sure if they've trusted Christ, they've received his grace, I pray that in the quietness of this moment, or if they have questions, they would talk to myself or someone else about how to know for sure they've received that gift. But for most of us, Lord, I pray that as we leave here that we have been sufficiently challenged That if we really want to worship God from the bottom of our heart, with His power, His grace, that we live it out, put it into practical way, put it in practical ways in our lives. So that indeed we would show Christ that we do really love Him and that we appreciate the gift that He's given us. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God and use. The grace of God.